Welcome to the house of God. And he is here today. <laughs> and he has something to tell us today, which I'll be sharing with you out of the uh, book of Genesis. We go to that uh, first uh, chapter of Genesis, and today we're actually making a little bit more progress than we have the last couple of weeks. <laughs> Verse uh, 3 through 25. So I had intended to memorize all that and recite it by memory. But uh, things didn't work out too well. In spite of large doses of prevision and uh, focus factor, it just doesn't work for an old brain like this. So um, if you want to stand for the Word of God, I'll read these verses. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters, which were below the, the expanse from the waters, which were above the expanse, and it was so. God called the expanse heaven, and there was an evening, and there was a morning, a second day. Then God said, Let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants, yielding seed, in uh, fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit which send, uh, with seed in them after their kind. And God saw that it was good. There was evening And there was morning, the third day. Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. Let them be for the lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens and gave light on the earth. And to govern the day and the night, uh, to separate the light from the darkness And God saw that it was good. 
There was evening and there was morning the fourth day. Then God said, Let the waters team up with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth and in the open expanse of the heavens. God created the great monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind and God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. There was evening and there was morning on the fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle, and creeping things, and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. God made the beauty of the earth after their kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps on the earth after its kind. And God saw that it was good. This is the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help me, God. Let us pray. Lord God in heaven, you are indeed the king of kings, our king, the one we follow, that we trust and we obey, the one we worship and give praise and thanks to. We come often to your will, Lord, asking for Asking for and drawing out those things that, that we need daily. Mercy, grace, forgiveness, love, encouragement. We come and ask, and you provide faithfully and liberally. We have tasted and we have seen your goodness in our lives and in our church. We are thankful. This Sunday, today, is like no other. No, sir, this is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice in it. As it presents yet another opportunity to draw closer to you and be transformed evermore into your likeness. Come, Holy Spirit, cover this place of worship like a blanket as we clear our minds and open our hearts to what you have in store for us. Let us not leave this service today the same as we came, but changed according to your will. Lord, we ask that we bestow power and might to the message that our pastor has prayerfully prepared. Let the gospel message ring out through it. We pray this all in his holy name. And all God's people said, Amen. I'd ask you to remain standing for the preaching of the word, too. Um, <laughs> but then I think you would probably fall over in exhaustion. So, not because I'm boring you at all or anything, but um, 
Thank you, Dan, for reading that. Yes, that would be uh, a little more difficult to memorize than the, the first two verses from last week. So, but thank you for reading that for us. If you're new with us this morning, which I know there's a, some of you that are new with us, or maybe you're returning uh, after uh, maybe a short hiatus from uh, gathering together, I just want to give you just, let me just say this very quickly. We began a new series through the book of Genesis. Genesis means beginnings, and it's the very first book of the Bible out of 66 books of the Bible. And so, um, so far we've gotten through verse two in the last two weeks. And so uh, keeping that on record, I think it was 2057 when we'd finished. Is that correct? Or is 2037? No, it won't necessarily take that long. But um, anyways, I'm excited to go through this with you because at least for my own personal journey as I'm diving in, having gone to seminary, having gotten a doctorate in ministry, all these different things, the fact is I'm diving more into the book of Genesis than I ever have in my life. And one thing that I'm incredibly convinced of uh, already is this. I know the last few years, the book of Revelation has been kind of the hot topic or hot book to kind of uh, explore together, right? And, and it should be because, again, people are, are asking questions and, and as things are become maybe more volatile in the world, people are wondering, oh man, like what's going to happen? Is Jesus going to return? And those are things that we should be asking. Those are things that we should be kind of inquiring further about and diving deeper into. But one thing I am convinced of more than ever is this, you can't understand the end unless you first understand the beginning, You can't understand how it all ends if we don't understand how it all started. When Jesus says, behold, I'm going to make all things new, we have to understand what that new is. What what new things, how is God going to make things come full circle? Well, we need to start at the very beginning. So that is what we are doing together. We're starting at the beginning. Some of you might be aware of this. Uh, For the last three years, uh, my wife and I have been on this uh, patient journey of wondering, um, are we going to build a house or not? And uh, it's been kind of stop, go, stop, go, stop, go, stop, go. And and for uh, uh, there's been multiple times where we're like, maybe it's not going to happen. We don't know. And uh, uh, circumstances that are outside of our control tend to kind of just make things like, well, we're just kind of, we'll just see what the Lord does, you know? And, um, but through the process of at least inquiring and investigating and preparing for the, the eventual and hope that we will build one day, um, there's been many things that I've been exposed to or have learned firsthand because uh, building a house just doesn't happen on a whim, right? You don't just shoot from the hip uh, and just go, yeah, let's just build a house, and then tomorrow there's a house. That's not how it works. Uh, I'm looking at Dennis Dahlman right here, uh, who has built hundreds of homes, and uh, you should be the one telling me this, not me. It should be the other way around here. But to build any house really uh, properly, there are so many details to consider and to decide on even prior to the build of a house, right? You have to decide on a house design. You have to uh, decide on the location to build your home. You have to decide on the, uh, whether or not you can actually afford the cost to build a home and investigate your own personal finances. You have, to, uh, you have to ask who will be involved in the build of this house and where am I going to buy materials and which materials to choose. And I'm looking at April right now, like they just finished their house and it's like there are too many choices today than there once was probably. It's just like it's uh, uh, wearisome probably of all the choices that you have to make. Who would have thought there are like 40 different shades of white I mean, it's kind of like, you're like, can it just be white, you know? Uh, but no, no, they, 
I won't even go into that, but uh, there's a lot. Um, and, what, and once you've done all those preliminary considerations, then if all those things are accounted for, then there's a proper order or strategy for the house to be built properly. You have to clear the house site, you have to lay the foundation, you have to install a subfloor, you have to frame the house, you have to install doors and windows, you have to uh, install a roof and siding, and, and the, then it's called, it's quote, dried in at that point. And then you have electrical, and you have plumbing, you have insulation, you have drywall, you have painting, floors, fixtures, cabinets, counters, toilets, and the, and on, and on, and on it goes. Was that a trigger for you, April? Okay, okay just making sure. You're just like, ah, oh, yes, that was our life the last couple of years. Um, eventually, at that point, you finally go like, we have a completed house. Unless, of course, you're from, you go to where I grew up in Willow, Alaska, and uh, building a house has a very different strategy to it. it, it uh, in Willow, Alaska, Tyvex is the siding of choice. Have you ever heard that Tyvex siding? That's last for decades at least, according to most people in Alaska. Concrete is a luxury material for the foundation. Uh, trim is for the rich. And when you talk about city or county codes, I just started speaking a foreign language. So, uh, I mean, basically in Willow, Alaska, it's all hands off, do what you want to do, whatever works for you. There's something refreshing about that, actually, uh, in some ways. But building a house properly is a very involved process that requires acute attention to detail and a proper order of build. And you know what's even more incredible than that is that the same, ex- the same is... exponentially true of how God designed and created the heavens and the earth. You see, God didn't just kind of throw something together and call it good. He He didn't just shoot from the hip or he didn't just wing it when he spoke everything into existence. Actually, quite the opposite. God meticulously designed and planned and implemented the creation of all things with supernatural precision and with eternal intent. You see, no detail was overlooked when God created and spoke everything into existence. Everything that God wanted, God created. And every part of creation has a unique functional coexistence with one another. And that's why God was able to conclude after each day of creation, he would say, and God said it was good. In fact, after the six days of creation, God kind of surveys everything he just completed and said, it is really good. It is very good. It's basically emphatic good, exclamation mark at the very end of that good. It's very good. You see, good according to a biblical definition of good, isn't good in the way in which you and I oftentimes refer to good. We think, my wife, see, my wife will sometimes ask me, my mom always asked me growing up, hey, Aaron, how you doing? Good. Good. Good means what? Well, it means whatever it means to you. It's kind of like, it's really relative, maybe subjective to the person. It's, we're good. And you decide what that means. Uh, But when God says it's good, when it's really good, what God means is that it's perfect. It is complete. 
You know, you and I, we live our lives in kind of this linear state, uh, uh, and we're always in this kind of constant hindsight realization, right? We make something for the first time, we cook something for the first time, we grill something for this first time, we do whatever for the first time, and usually after we do something for the first time, we look back and go, knowing what I know now, here's how I would do it differently, right? But not so with God. You see, everything that God spoke into existence was perfect from the very beginning. It needed no modifications. It needed no updates. God didn't have to, he wasn't in need of any redos or refinements. Everything that was created in the beginning functioned perfectly within its created design. But let us not take my word for it. Let's observe together God's design and creation of all things. I mean, here's how we're actually going to do it or kind of pursue that this morning. First of all, we're going to just kind of take kind of an overview of the creation week structure and just make some observations about everything that uh, Elder Dan actually read for us this morning. And then right after that, I'm going to actually, um, I'm just going to give a disclaimer about differing interpretive viewpoints that are still debated to this day. Uh, I'll be honest with you, in all transparency, I had like four or five pages of notes of things that I was going to address specifically, and I was like, this is going to really detract us from the main point of what I think we're really called to walk away with. And so I'll just say this as a disclaimer, and I'll, I'll remind you again, if you ever want to have a coffee conversation about other ideas or other thoughts or other viewpoints or whatever it is, I'm all in for a free cup of coffee on your dime. Thank you so much. So, um, but anyways, yeah, so there, there, there's an opportunity to have further conversation. In fact, I invite that, and I hope that you are able to experience that with one another. And then we'll, after that, we'll draw some uh, specific focus to some relevant points of application for our lives. So let's begin right here. Strict, the creation week structure. The question I want to pose to us and then therefore answer together is this. What was God's strategic plan in creation? Was there a plan at all, or was it just kind of like, again, just kind of like, well, let's just do something and see what happens? Was there a strategic plan on God's behalf? I believe absolutely yes. One of the things that we need to understand about the creation week structure is this, that first God formed the earth, and then he filled the earth. First God formed the earth, and then he filled the earth. Now, you might recall from last week, if you're with us or if you watched uh, uh, online with us, uh, in verse 1, we see this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 1 of the very first book of the Bible tells us right from the beginning, it really kind of gives us an introduction to the entire creation week that uh, unfolds in chapter 1. And then in verse 2, we see this. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Meaning, God began to uh, create everything by the spoken word of his mouth, but he did so in a very sequential way. It wasn't all at once. There was a sequence. There was an order to how he created everything. And what he did was he created an environment that was once originally 
unlivable, and he created it to a point where this environment was now livable, meaning creation would continually move day after day from a, 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 a place of chaos and disorder and darkness to a habitable place of completion and order. And so in the first three days, I'm not going to read them all for you right now, but in the first three days, God formed the earth. We see in day one that God created light from, uh, and he created light and distinguished it from the darkness. That's in verses three through five of Genesis chapter one. And in day two, we see that God separated the waters to create sky, the atmosphere, and still a watery earth. At that time, there was still no earth present or no dry land present. Then in day three, we have dry land appear, and there's seas and oceans, and there's even vegetation that begin to grow. That's verses 9 through 13. The end takeaway that, we're spo- that I think is important for us to understand is this, that what God accomplished in the first three days of creation was that he created a world that was previously unproductive and uninhabitable to a world that was now productive and livable And in doing so, that we see that in day one, that God made the basis for time, right? Evening and morning marked the first day. And light he called day, and darkness he called night. You see, God is establishing this thing called time. Day two, we, 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 we see that God made the basis for weather. When he separated water, and you got the atmosphere, and you got the oceans and the seas and, every, and the sky that the birds can fly in and that the planes can fly through, everything was created. The weather systems and the weather patterns were created at the spoken word of God. In day three, we have God made the basis for food. We see that when dry land appeared, he caused vegetation to grow. Now food is beginning. The point is this. Time, weather, food are all essential to life. And now that the earth was productive and livable, Scripture tells us that God filled it. He filled it in days four through six. Day four, he created the sun, the moon, and the stars. In day five, he created the fish and the birds. And in day six, he created land animals and the human race. I think another observation that is worth noting for us is the, the sequence of God's creation. Again, what I'm trying to uh, kind of plant a seed of in your minds or in your hearts for you to consider and reflect on or chew on more fully is this, that again, God isn't just kind of like, let's just see what happens. There is an incredible order and, 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 and this kind of meticulous plan that God is speaking into existence. One of the cool observations that we can kind of see from this creation week in Genesis 1 is the sequence of God's creation. Day 1 and day 4 are actually complementary of one another in that on day 4, we see that God fills the realm that he created in day 1, right? God made light. And then on day four, he created luminaries like the sun and the moon and the stars to be the constant source of that light, which would determine days and years, the Bible tells us. Day two and five are also correlated with one another, and that day five is the filling of the realm that was created in day two. God separated the water, so there was separation between water and atmosphere and sky, and then he filled these spaces with birds and fish. 
And in day three and six, they also complement one another. And that day six is the filling of the realm from day three. God made the seas and, and caused dry land to appear and vegetation to grow. And then he filled it with land animals and ultimately the human race. A third observation that we can see through the creation week account is this, that every day of creation follows the exact same uh, process or pattern. And I got to give compliments to Bruce Walkie, who's a commentator writer uh, for uh, highlighting this kind of pattern that we see. But if you look up here, there, there's this kind of con- the consistent unfolding or unveiling or the way or strategy in which God chose to speak everything into creation. First of all, we have the announcement. The announcement is, is really every, every day of creation starts like this. And God said. And God said. Every day of creation starts, and God said. And then we move into what we call the commandment. And God said, let there be. Let there be. The point that, that, that Bruce Walkie is helping us identify from the pages of Genesis 1 is this, that every creation event occurs according to the expressed will of God and through the agency of his spoken word. And God said, let there be. And then we ultimately see there's a separation. God divides day and night. He divides the waters and land. He also kind of distinguishes the fish and the birds. The point is that there are boundaries that God creates and that are vital for order to exist and for life to flourish. You see, when everything keeps within its allotted boundaries and doesn't digress those limits or or transgress into those limits, the result is order, not chaos. Because remember, everything is beginning from a chaotic place and moving sequentially and strategically strategically to a place of order and livability. And then we get to the report, and so God made. And God said, let there be, it is made, and so God actually fulfilled it, and he made it. And then he named everything that he made. Naming something, by the way, is indicative of dominion. We'll get to that more in just a little bit when he creates male and female and when he commissions Adam to basically take dominion and take charge and to name the animals. There's an inerrant task or biblical mandate that God has given the human race to take dominion of God's creation. But in the beginning, we see that God begins to name everything. Like, for example, the light he called day and the darkness he called night. And then God evaluates everything he does. And we see every day of creation saying this, and God saw that it was good. And God saw that it was good. And so we also see that there's this chronological framework that God, that God uh, creates within in the sense that he creates six days as a, t- as a unit of time or a rhythm for humanity, six days of work and then one day for rest. Now, why in the world do I take the time to point out all these observations or these patterns, these kind of correlations that exist in the creation account or the creation week in Genesis 1? First of all, we just need to understand that matter, time, and space are not accidental or random whatsoever. They're not just something that appears and just happen to work themselves out. 
No, what we need to understand, a biblical worldview that we have been just kind of establishing from the beginning, a biblical worldview understands creation in this way, that God meticulously designed and planned and implemented the creation of all things with supernatural precision and with eternal intent. No detail was overlooked. Everything that God created Everything that God wanted, he created. And every created thing has a function that is interrelated to one another. Now, when you dive into any book of the Bible, let alone Genesis, one thing you've, uh, uh, that you are confronted with very quickly, especially as a pastor who's getting ready to prepare a sermon and to tell you, thus saith the Lord, Right? you realize very quickly that not everybody agrees. My whole desk is filled with all kinds of commentaries. And guess what? Almost all of them have a slightly different perspective. Thankfully, I found out what the, true, the right perspective was. So you're welcome. No, I'm just kidding. But here, here's the deal. Uh, there, there are a lot of um, viewpoints that exist, uh, like, much like Revelation, so Genesis is also, there, there are many interpretations, there are many camps that exist, there are many viewpoints looking at the same scripture but having slightly different conclusions to make about that. Um, so that's why when you read Revelation, you read Genesis, both matter. You need to understand how it all starts, so therefore you can understand how it all ends. But there are so many different viewpoints. Not to mention, you got to understand that we're talking about 2,500 years of history in the first 11 chapters of the Bible. So there's not a whole lot written about all that transpired or unfolded for that long period of time. So people will sometimes argue and debate, like, is it is the earth old? Is it young? Is it thousands of years? Are we talking millions of years? Is the universe billions of years? Uh, was evolution a way that God created everything, or could he have created everything through the means of evolution? Uh, should science inform our interpretation of Scripture, or should Scripture inform our interpretation of science? Were Adam and Eve real people, or just representatives of the human race? Uh, did the flood really cover the whole earth, or was it more, did it cover that area, that known world where people inhabited? There's lots of questions, there's lots of debates. Let me just give you a few things to keep in mind in your friendly conversation with one another. Because here's the deal. If we were to take an honest survey of everyone in here this morning, we would probably not be on the same page completely. And that's okay, actually. There are some things that we need to be on the same page, and I'll address that in just a second. But I just want to give you four things to keep in mind in the midst of a very debatable first 11 chapters of the Bible. First of all, understand this. And this just is true across the board when we approach Scripture. Remember that the plain reading of Scripture is the intended meaning of Scripture. Let me say that again. The plain reading of Scripture is the intended message of Scripture. I'm not saying that there isn't room or there isn't a need to dive deep and to, un- and to mine the depths that exist within the, the scriptural revelation or God's revelation to us. We can, you will spend a lifetime unpacking and going deeper in your understanding of what God has revealed and you will never reach the end. But at the same time, 
The plain reading of Scripture is the intended message of Scripture. Secondly, keep in mind this too. Remember that the Bible, especially the Torah, and especially the book of Genesis, is not a scientific book. The primary genre of Genesis is historical narrative, which means that God's purpose of Genesis is really a revelation of a theological agenda, not a scientific agenda. We must always ask, and I said this at the very beginning when we did our overview, we must always ask of any book, but especially Genesis, what was the author intending to communicate to its primary recipients? Not reading through a 21st century Western biased, uh, very distant perspective that we can oftentimes do, but what was the author, Moses in this case, intending to communicate to the primary recipients? Who were the people of Israel getting ready to enter to the promised land? He's helping them understand this is your identity. This is who you are. That You need to understand your origins so you understand as you move forward into the land that was promised to you. So understanding the intent of Scripture, especially in Genesis, that it is not a scientific textbook. Third thing to remember or realize is that true followers of Jesus Christ will sometimes have differing viewpoints. True followers of Jesus Christ will sometimes disagree with you. Is that okay? I hope it is. Because if it's not, you'll be very lonely in a hurry. The fact is, none of us 100% agree on every nuance and theological nuance in Scripture in here. So the fact is, we sometimes have to learn to agree to disagree. We, we, we shouldn't necessarily be parting ways or undermining one's ministry just because you might differ on some a conclusion or point of application when it comes to Genesis. Yes, you can pursue a robust, friendly conversation or debate, but to argue and to slander and to gossip because you disagree, absolutely not. You see, the hill that you must die on, the hill that we must all learn to die on, so to speak, are really issues that matter or pertain to salvation. Those are non-negotiable conversations. Those are issues that you have to go, no, you have to draw the line in the sand. But the, sometimes there are secondary issues that may, not, that, may, uh, uh, that may influence your fellowship with one another, but that doesn't mean that someone's not a believer just because they think differently than you. And there are tertiary issues that are even more distant that you go, hey, you know what? Let's just agree to disagree, but we can still acknowledge and recognize one another as brothers and sisters in Jesus, as, in Jesus Christ. However, I also am not naive in understanding or knowing that what I or what you may consider of primary importance may not be what other might, another person might consider an area of primary importance. So even that we can disagree on, right? This is really important. Well, I don't really think it's that important. It's really important to me. Well, I don't really know if that's really that, like, that important. According to Scripture, the issues of primary importance, Paul spells out or fleshes out for us in 1 Corinthians 15 when he says, I gave you what was of primary importance. And he focuses or brings the focus right to what Jesus the Christ 
the Messiah, the anointed one from God did. He died. He lived. He died. He was buried. He rose again. The issues of primary importance have everything to do with salvation. Now, that being said, some things in Genesis, even if you have differing viewpoints, some things in Genesis must be true. There has to be a real Adam and a real Eve. They just can't be representative figures of the human race because guess who the second Adam is according to Scripture? Jesus Christ. There's a first Adam where sin came into the world. There's a second Adam where sin was abolished because of his faithfulness and his righteousness. And so there are some details that must be accepted no matter what. Fourth and finally, let me just say this. Remember the primary purpose of God's revelation to us. We talked about this last week a little bit. What was God's primary purpose of giving us his divine revelation? It was this, to make himself known. God has revealed in order to make himself known so that, and here's the purpose, in order that we might worship him and eventually reign with him for eternity. God has revealed so that we might know him. And therefore, secondarily, and the ultimate thrust is to show us the way to salvation. And so again, coming back to my previous comment, may you and I major on the majors and even sometimes agree to disagree on the minors. Have a conversation. Have a robust, hey, where does it say in Scripture? Become a Berean, so to speak, of the word so that you might understand what God has truly revealed to us. Again, I had lots and lots of pages of notes to talk about some uh, very common debatable things. And I'm like, you know what? We're not going there. We'll go over over a cup of coffee if you want to. But uh, for the intent and purpose of our time here this morning, I really wanted to get to some relevant points of application that I think are more impactful and life-giving and energizing for us. Let me just say this first and foremost as a way of application. We need to understand that creation was not set up for the benefit of God, but for the benefit of humanity. First point of application, when you read the creation account and, and, and you see everything that God did, you know, the first question that sometimes we always ask is, well, why did God do that? Well, the, why, the answer to the why question is, God did not create for the benefit of himself. He created for the benefit of humanity. This is a very, this is a very foundational point of understanding for a biblical worldview. And we'll dive into this in more in detail in a couple of weeks when we talk about the creation of male and female. But one important observation about the whole creation account is that everything in creation builds up to this climax at the end of the created week, and that is the human race. That is the climax of God's creation, the human race that will, co- uh, will commune and co-reign with God. This is why God created humans can last You see that? He created everything. He created the whole world, habitable, livable. He created all the animals, everything. And the very last thing God created was the human race. Was that a coincidence? No, it was not. It is also why human beings were the only created being that bear the image of God. 
By the way, this makes us incredibly valuable to God like no other part of creation does. No other part of creation bears the image of God. We'll talk about that more in a couple of weeks about what that means exactly. But it just so happens that today is Sanctity of Life Sunday. And I think it's very appropriate to say, and I'll begin to draw more attention to it in a couple of weeks, but um, this is also why abortion is so despicable and contrary in the sight of God. Regardless of what the, the, the cultural narrative is, regardless of what people may espouse as true or what should be the new truth, whatever it may be, from a biblical worldview, a biblical standpoint is abortion is contrary to God's design of human beings as well as to his intent of human beings. Only humans bear the image of God. And that, in and of, though God cares about all his creation, that especially emphasizes the importance of the human race and how God feels towards this creation called the human race. We see also that God on the seventh day declared it holy and set apart. But God did not take a break. He did not rest for his sake. God rested for our sake. In fact, Moses even justifies the importance of Sabbath rest in Exodus 20 when he refers to the creation account in a very literal way. Look what he says. He says, in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. And that is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he set it apart as holy. And so when God was creating everything in a way that he did, he did so in such a way that would establish a weekly rhythm for only human beings that bore his image. He's creating and he's establishing a structure so that you and I may flourish and thrive and live in our God-intended design. I think a second point of application that we observe through the context of Genesis 1 is this, it, it, that Genesis 1 and the creation week has, has to do with the important, really, I think, just centers on, and when you look at the, the importance of boundaries that God created, you see that God continually created boundaries in his creation so that his life, his intended, the life that he existed, the, the realms that he filled would ultimately flourish that they would multiply, that they would fill the earth. In the first three days of creation, God set boundaries so that everything would flourish on days four through six and following. I think in the same way or in a parallel sense, as I'm, as I'm reflecting on this this past week, I cannot help but also realize or take notice or at least pause to consider how God has also set up his moral boundary so that you and I may flourish. You see, from the very beginning of creation, God says, we're going to separate things, and this is where all the living beings are going to create. The birds are going to stay in the sky. The fish are going to stay in the water. The the land animals and, and the human beings are going to stay on earth. Every place has its allotted place so that it may live and flourish according to 
God's design as well as to the, for the glory of God. And then later on, we see that God gives the law to the people of Israel before they enter into the promised land. And the law was not given in order to inhibit one's joy or to inhibit one's life. God was not seeking to be a killjoy. Instead, he was actually giving us a moral boundary so that you and I, and especially as people, would flourish and so that they would remain in his love. You see, our enemy, which we oftentimes refer to as Lucifer or Satan, he wants us to doubt God's goodness by doubting God's ways. He especially wants us to doubt God's moral boundaries, and and, and he wants us to make us think like, well, you know what? God may have set some boundaries, but it's really up to you to decide what is right and wrong. It's really up to the culture to decide what is right and wrong. But actually, the Bible is a timeless revelation. It wasn't just relevant thousands of years ago. It is just as relevant for us today. And God has given us his moral boundaries so that you and I may live and thrive and flourish and ultimately remain in his love through our obedience. Brothers and sisters, sometimes we get this bad taste in our mouth because we go, ah, Christianity is all about rules. It's not. It's actually all about relationship. But like any healthy relationship, clear expectations have to be established. There's clear rules. You don't get just to do what you want to do on your terms. Because when you do, it doesn't unify the relationship. It only causes division within the relationship. Brothers and sisters, realize that God has given us his law not to restrict your life, but to, so that you may gain your life. So that you might flourish in the way that he has intended from the very beginning. Third point of application is that the creation account tells us something remarkable about God. Specifically that he is attentive to every detail. That he cares about every detail. That every created thing points to a divine designer who creates order from chaos. I've had this, uh, this uh, handout in my files for a very long time, always looking for an opportune time to read it. Today is such a day to read it for you. It's titled, How Great Is Our God? It's not, not written by me, but I was able to, when I, when I passed it through my whatever, purview years ago, I was like, man, someday this will be relevant or applicable in a sermon, and I think it is this morning. When you think about just how meticulous and how detailed God is, let me just kind of read a couple of these descriptions of God's creation. Think about God's accuracy. Let me just kind of read some of these things that were included here. First of all, when you think about the hatching of eggs, you see the eggs of a potato bug hatch in seven days. Those of a canary hatch in 14 days. Those of a barnyard hen hatch in 21 days. The eggs of a duck and geese hatch in 28 days. And those of a mallard hatch in 35 days. And the eggs of a parrot and the ostrich hatch in 42 days. If you have any uh, basic math knowledge, you realize those are all kind of derivatives of seven. Every seven days, these components, you'll see that throughout Scripture, actually. And from the very beginning, seven, which is a number for completion in Scripture, we see that 
the, the, the development of these animals are completed and therefore are born on these derivatives of seven. We see that God's wisdom is seen in, in like, for example, making the elephant. You know, he created the elephant with four legs, obviously, and, uh, and this great beast. But the, the crazy thing is, God made some large beasts slightly different than he made the, the smaller beasts with four legs. For example, God planned that this, this huge animal called an elephant, uh, would, it would be too large to just be on two legs, and so he gave him kind of four fulcrums to be able to rise from the ground very easily. On the other hand, you have a horse that rises from the ground on its front two legs first. The cow rises on the, from the ground on its hind two legs first, all because of the way the joints were designed and function. God's wisdom is revealed in his arrangement of sections and segments, as well as the numbers of grains. Think, look, think about this. This isn't accidental. This isn't, oh, that's coincidental. Just think about this. Each watermelon has an even number of stripes on the rind. Each orange has an even number of segments. By the way, when you go home, you can start cutting them up and looking at them. Each ear of corn has an even number of rows. You can go count those yourself. Each stalk of wheat has an even number of grains. Every bunch of bananas has on its lowest row an even number of bananas, and each row decreases by one, so that one row has an even number and the next row has an odd number. The waves of the sea roll on the shore 26 times every single minute, and no matter what the weather conditions are. All grains are found in even numbers on the stalks, and the Lord specified 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold, all even numbers. God has caused the flowers to blossom at certain specified times during the day. In fact, Linnaeus, who is a great, uh, uh, really a profound botanist, once said that if he had a conservatory containing the right kind of soil, moisture, and temperature, he would tell the time of day or night, or he could tell the time or day or night just by the flowers that were open and closed at certain times of the day. Where are we going with all this? The lives, of, the lives of each of you are also ordered. Do you think it's any coincidence that you are alive today? When you think about all the people, the billions and billions of people that have come and God, gone, is it any coincidence that you are alive today for such a time as this? Is it a coincidence or is it in accordance to God's design and his purpose and his will? The fact is, God is so meticulous and thoughtful and precise about everything in his creation. How much more meticulous and thoughtful is he, is, is he toward you and the needs in your life? Not only does he care about the big things in your life, but he cares just as much about the little things in your life. A final point of application is that God foresees what we need before we need it and begins the process of providing for what we need before we realize our need of it. I mean, notice the order in which God created, right? He didn't make animals and humanity and then create a habitable place and, and an environment with food. 
Just the opposite. He foresaw the animals and what animals and humans would need to live and flourish. And so he created a habitable place to live and to flourish. And then he filled it with life. If you're a parent in the room, you understand this firsthand, right? As a parent of children, you're constantly thinking about and trying to be ahead of the needs of your children. You're always thinking about, you, you know what their needs are. They don't. They're just in the moment. They live mostly in the moment. They're not thinking about, in a little while, I'm going to be really hungry. In a little while, I'm going to need to be changed. Or in a little while, I'm going to need all this. But you as parents do. And, and, and as, as an attentive parent, you are seeking to meet the needs long before your child even realized their, their need for it. But you're the parent. And you live life. And you understand. I love that. <laughs> little nudge right there. <laughs> the fact is, parents are constantly thinking about what do my child or what do my children need in the moment right now? And how am I preparing for in advance for this need when it arises? And the same is true, in fact, especially more with our Heavenly Father. I don't know exactly where some of you are at right now when it comes to trusting in a benevolent, good, gracious Father. But one of the promises that we see in Scripture is that God not only knows your need in the moment, but even as we see established from the very beginning of creation, He is already at work in preparation for the need that you will one day realize. A passage of scripture in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6 is worth just, I'm going to read the entire section because it's something that we can easily forget or become untrusting in. But listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, his first sermon addressed in his ministry. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Anybody anxious about your life right now? That word for anxious could be worried or it could be uh, unsettled, restless. Something in your life is just, ah, what's going to happen? And usually those come because we're not in control. And the control we thought we had is more of a perception than reality. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? I mean, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into their barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And you, are you not more of more value than they? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? By the way, in context, it's important, again, important to understand this in context. God isn't saying, never think about those things. Just kind of just 
just live your life and whatever happens, happens. That's not, he's not saying be, don't be planned. He's saying don't be anxious about these things. Don't be worried in a way that you're like, if I, that, as if you are in the, the sole controller of what you are going to eat and where and where you're going to live and all those kind of things. Don't be anxious about these things. For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows what you need, that you need them all. Here's our commission. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What I'm getting at this, is, brothers and sisters, is this. From the very beginning of creation, we see that God has been meticulously involved, not just considerate, not just aware, but actively involved with every single little detail of creation. Everything matters to God because God cares about everything he creates. And you are created in the image of God. We'll unpack that more in detail in a couple weeks, but you are special to God. And as Matthew 6, as Jesus teaches us in Matthew 6, if God provides for all these other, you know, birds and the grass, I mean, come on, how valuable really is that? Maybe for some of you it is. Uh, But the fact is, how much more so will God care for your needs and provide for you? When I think about how God has gone before us, when I think about the way in which he has foreseen our needs, I cannot help but also consider how God has foreseen our need for redemption. You see, even in the beginning, even when Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God, even when they chose to not trust God and to take matters into their own hand and in a very autonomous way began to say, I will choose then sin entered the world, but even then, God already had a plan for redemption. Even before Adam and Eve realized it, even before any of us realized it, God has already had a plan to save us from ourselves. I mean, it's really interesting to think about in a real practical way. Think about when God created the trees, he also knew, because he's omniscient, he also knew that one, this one tree, this certain species of tree, would eventually spread their seed and grow into many trees, and eventually those trees would make more trees, and then one day that tree would be cut down by the Roman Empire, created into a cross, and eventually hang the Savior of the world. God even knew that. Does God care about everything that he creates? 100% Absolutely. And so, brothers and sisters, we have the opportunity to pause, to take a moment, and to remember. To remember how God foresaw our needs long before we realized them, realized it. And to make a way to be reconciled into right relationship with God the Father. Just take a few moments and just consider, just reflect on the, on the fact that God loves you so much that he's done everything necessary 
to reconcile you into right relationship with himself. That he's gone through such extreme lengths, through, to such extreme measures that he would give his only son to die so that we might live. Oh, brothers and sisters, may we not lose sight of that significance. May we not miss the truth that God loves you. And look what great lengths he's willing to go to save you.